please find your way to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And as you turn there, let me extend to you a very special happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. We're so grateful for you. We're thankful that you're here today, and we hope that you have a great day with your family. You know, we get a great portrait of dads that can be found over the years through television. You know, from the realtor Phil Dunphy to one of Chicago's finest, Carl Winslow, we get a picture of what our culture thinks that dads are like. What is it that all these dads have in common? They're hilarious, right? I haven't seen all the shows up there, but I would imagine that that'd be the true of each case of one of those comedy dads. But the reason that they are funny is because they're aloof. The reason it's hilarious, because dad has no idea what's going on. He's the dummy. Mom is the one that's running the house. This is the way that culture has portrayed the dad in our society. And many of us have bought into it. We believe that's the way it is. Dad works, he comes home, and nothing else happens once he gets there as far as his dad responsibilities go. But this is not the case and not how the scriptures present to us what a biblical father looks like. So if you're a dad, why don't you stand up? Come on, dads, right now, stand up right where you're at. Now, Jason has already mentioned that not every man in this room is standing who has longed to be a father, but is not. So we need to remember, first of all and foremost, that being a dad is not a right, it's a privilege, and it's a responsibility. And we're called to be not perfect dads, because we can't be, but strive to be fathers. So Ephesians chapter 6 says this. It says, I'm sorry, let me go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's our call to dads, one of these passages. Don't provoke your children to anger, but as they grow up, let's bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord himself. God has trained and he's equipped each and every dad with his Holy Spirit who knows him and has fully equipped us with his word for every good work. Do you notice in there it says work, though? Whether your kids are out of the house, you never stop being a dad, whether you're a grandfather, whether you're just starting out, God has fully equipped you for every good work with the word of God. So today, as you put your feet up and as you eat steak, (laughs) may you see this as an opportunity as well to re-up to the commitments of being a dad. Maybe bringing your family together, putting down the phone and saying, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna this year commit to being a dad that trains you up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Stay standing, let me pray for you dads. God, we thank you for the men in this room that you've given the gift of children to, a treasure from you, you say. I pray, God, that they would take the instructions well of training up their children, whether they're at home or away, continuing to nurture them in the knowledge of God and who he is, and to grow them and to be present fathers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, Dad. You can have a seat. I'm very grateful for my dad. You see this picture of my dad and I there back in the 80s. Grateful for him, not famous or well-known, but a faithful dad who loved Jesus. 
loved us as kids and, and loved his wife even more. He was a great father. And he was consistent in discipline. Uh, <laughs> these were the spankings that I received every birthday. He would give me a, according to the number that I was that, of that year and then a pinch to grow an inch. But he was consistent in these ways, and this one was a joke, but I was very worthy of many spankings that I had earned throughout the years. One of those was my dad was actually a pastor, and we lived in a parsonage, which is a house that the the church owns, and it's right behind, uh, our house was right behind the church, and the church parking lot went right into our backyard. And dad decided he would take my little sister and I and the church van with him to go fill it up with gas. And as he got in, we were sitting in the back, and we were, of course, not strapped in. It was the 80s, so we were walking around and doing whatever we wanted in the back. And Dad said, oh, I forgot something inside. And he said, don't touch anything while I'm gone. I said, yeah, sure, okay, Dad. And then the moment Dad gets out, like a kid just totally forgets what they heard. It's like, oh, Dad's not in the van? I'm going to go sit up in the front seat. And I managed, as a young boy, to put the van into gear. And it rolled down the hill the parking lot was on, and we rolled, my sister and I, and the church van right into our backyard. And mom was doing the dishes at the window, which overlooked the backyard, and as you can see, her little daughter waving (laughs) with her brother in the front seat. And I remember coming inside and hearing the conversation in the kitchen between mom and dad, saying, honey, the van is in the backyard. I earned my spankings that day. (laughs) Now, did I hear my father? Sure, sound might have gone into my ears, but did I actually hear the commands that he gave to me? No, I didn't actually hear them well or truly hear them because true hearing results in obedience. True hearing results in obedience. And in our text today, as we continue in this series of the parables, Jesus is going to bring this out for us. Look at Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 1. The same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd, they stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables, saying... A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, and since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. Other seeds fell on good soil, produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Do you have ears? Let's hear well this morning to the word of God. If you remember, a parable is a deceptively simple story illustrating a profound truth. Stories of Jesus that make us stop Think and act. This is Jesus' first parable, and it's mentioned in all three synoptic gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and synoptic, as you remember, means similar. Jesus, at this point, is a ministry rock star. 
Despite the rejection of the leaders, everyone else is coming to him. Everywhere he went, great crowds would follow him. So much so that he's on the beach and they begin to overwhelm him that he goes out from the shore onto a boat. And he sits down and he begins to tell a parable while everyone else is standing on the beach. It's a reverse of what's today. Jesus is sitting, everyone else is standing and listening. And this would have created not only space for Jesus to be able to talk and communicate, but also a natural amphitheater as his voice would have been bouncing off the water and the cliffs that were behind the people on the beach would echo off of it so everyone that was in attendance could hear Jesus clearly. And he shares a story that would have connected with them quite well. After all, that's what parables were all about. There were real stories that connected with people where they were at. He shares about farming. They're an agrarian society. They probably would have walked through fields to find Jesus where he was. And Jesus told this story as he wanted them to listen in, to see if they were truly hearing and seeing how they respond when they heard God's word. Jesus presents to them and to us a sower and four different soils. And the emphasis is not so much on the sower, but the soils themselves. The sower would take out a bag, and he would put it over his shoulder, and he would take out seed, and he would broadcast it throughout his field. He would take it out and throw seed out, and as the text says that some of the seed fell along the path. Now, it wasn't that he intentionally threw seed on the path, okay? It was that the paths often ran right through the fields, and oftentimes the fields were outlined, their properties were outlined by paths instead of fences. Now, this path was walked on so often that it became as hard as concrete, so the seeds could not penetrate the soil and couldn't grow, and the birds would come in and snatch away the seeds that had fallen on it. You've seen that before, right? If you've been to the beach and you have any kind of food with you and the seagulls come and they flock to you. My brother and I, we had cookies we were eating on the beach and uh, the seagulls came. We were actually throwing them in the air and the seagulls were catching them in their mouths, in the air. The birds coming and stealing away the seed that fell on the hard path. Yet other seed, it fell upon the rock. Now I used to hear this one and I think seed that fell upon the rock why didn't he just get rid of the rocks? Well, he would have. He would have plowed out these rocks. There wouldn't have been big rocks all throughout his field. But what this was instead was just underneath the soil that you couldn't see was a rock layer. And underneath that, the, seed, the, the, the wheat would then grow up very quickly because it had very little soil to grow into. And it would grow up faster than everything else, but because it was shallow, when it would spring up, it would lack the nutrients because of its shallow roots, and the, seed, the wheat would then die. Thirdly, he sowed among the thorns. Now, why don't you think, what are these thorns doing everywhere? Well, it's more talking about prickly weeds that would grow up among the good crop. It dominated the soil. It overpowered everything. 
These weeds, these prickly thorns, would suck out all the nutrients from the good things until finally the good stuff had no more room to grow because everything had been stolen by these thorns, these prickly weeds, and everything else that was good suffocated and died. In my previous home, I had a small part of the grass that started to get clover, creeping Charlie in it. And my dad was visiting for the, for the, for the week with mom, and he said to me, you know, Brad, if you don't take care of that creeping Charlie, it's going to take over everything. I said, no, it's just in one little small patch. Well, guess what happened? It took over everything, and then we moved. <laughs> and then lastly, the, 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 the seed fell among the guitar boards, Paul. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen there. But lastly, the seeds fell among the good soil. Now, this was rich, black soil that Israelites only dreamed of getting, that you could only get in Iowa. Nothing was hindering its growth. It was ready to receive the seed and produce a good, healthy crop. Now, can you imagine the disciples as they heard this story? Hundreds, perhaps thousands of people are gathered around to hear from Jesus, and they're saying, okay, this is where Jesus is gonna tell them about the kingdom. This is where he's gonna tell them what this is all about. I mean, look at all these people. And then he starts sharing about farming. And they're like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. Guys, he's just setting the stage. Don't worry, he's gonna get to the good stuff. And he talks more and more about farming, and then all of a sudden, he stops. And the disciples are like, whoa, what is he doing? He has all these people listening, and he starts talking about soil. We'll look at verse 10. We'll see. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For the one to who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who is not, even that he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never receive. For the people's heart has grown dull with their ears, and they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Now, Jesus had given several healings up until this point, but he's saying what the people are missing out on is the spiritual healing that they really need. And he says, but blessed are the eyes for your eyes, for they see your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see, and to hear what you hear and did not hear. If you remember from last week, if you were with us, one of the reasons that Jesus told parables was to hide the truth from the self-righteous. Those who had rejected Jesus did not see a need for them. He spoke in parables so that they wouldn't understand what he was saying. Jesus had already, up to this point, presented the kingdom and himself as king to his chosen people, the Jews. But the leaders rejected him as king, even after the many proofs of healing and his teaching, fulfillment of scripture. Isaiah, though, prophesied and said that this would happen. They would hear and not respond. 
MacArthur tells us Christ's physical kingdom because of the rejection of the Jews was postponed, but the spiritual kingdom of the saints of the church was established in those who would receive him, that is, those who saw Christ, those who did receive him, come into his kingdom through faith in him. And they wait in the in-between, waiting for the delayed kingdom to come now in its fullness. And now Jesus, in chapter 13, after his rejection, is now starting to shift to speaking in parables for the very first time. So the Jews who rejected him would be confused, and those who wanted to understand him and follow him, he would pull together into smaller groups and explain what his parables were all about and what they meant, the secrets of the kingdom and the secrets of the church that Jew and Gentile would both be brought into through faith. And so he depoles the disciples together into a huddle, and us as well, as we get to see what this parable is all about. Verse 18, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulations or persecutions arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word of God, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So through parables, Jesus is now teaching the disciples what their ministry is going to look like and what our ministry is going to look like. The four soils represent how people respond to Jesus, to his ministry, and who he is. Now, Luke actually tells us that this seed is the word of God. So when the message goes forth, that is the gospel, these are the four ways that people living here and now will respond to what they hear. First one is they'll respond with a hard heart. This is a person who's closed off to the gospel. Maybe they will hear us out, but really they have no desire to understand or to know the things of God. Jesus says, you will encounter these people. Some of them will be indifferent, and some of them will be opposition towards you and to the gospel, which is what the apostles were going to find out as as the book of Acts unfolds. They will experience these things. Jesus also tells us about Satan's influence in the world how he hates the kingdom of God. And the birds come in and represent, that's the evil one that comes in, who's the prince of this world, and snatches away the gospel seeds. The God of this age has has blinded the minds of unbelievers. This is spiritual warfare that's going on in sharing and hearing the gospel. And there will be hard hearts. Secondly, there'll be shallow hearts. This one who receives, this one receives the message of the gospel. And it says they receive it with joy. 
They say, oh, this is exactly what I'm looking for. This is exactly what I needed. And this person's really excited, and everybody is excited with them. They go out, and they get a Jesus fish tattooed on their, on their wrist or something else in Greek. They're really excited about the gospel. They're involved in serving, and they're really, really in. They love the music. They're going to all the Christian concerts and love the band but they don't have roots that are dug down deep in Jesus Christ, a very shallow faith. And sadly, when the storms of life come, financial stress, a breakup, an issue that they find in scripture to be too hard, this person has no roots that are dug into the soil deeply, and they're blown away when they leave. Now, did this person truly hear the word? No. Is this person truly converted? No. Truly hearing God's word results in obedience. And all this person might continue for a while, even produce fruit, they show that they did not know God, did not respond to him fully because they didn't continue with him. Thirdly, Jesus says that you're gonna have people with cluttered hearts, those that receive the gospel. But the things of life start to crowd out their growth. The things of the the cares of the world, money it says, other things start to creep in, keeping them from getting, uh, growing in their faith. They're drawn to other activities. Not, Not even really bad activities. Just kids' sports that take over and they find themselves spending less and less time with God's people. Less and less time at his church. Hobbies, activities that creep up and it's like, well, you know, we, we need to just focus in on where we're at in the stage in our life and then we'll get serious about God when we have more time. And then they find themselves saying, well, that was a good thing. That was a good period of our life when we were following Christ, but things just got really busy. Even the apostle Paul experienced this. You would think, if I was with Paul, I would never walk away from God, ever. But 2 Timothy 4, verse 10 tells us about for Demas, his follower and companion of Paul, in love with the present world, has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica, Galatia, and with the others. He's all alone because the cares of the world, the next verse says, I don't have that up there. In love with the world, he has deserted me, it says. The cares of the world, he had deserted Paul, didn't know Christ, because true hearing results in obedience. Who's the sower? The sower is Christ using people to proclaim his message. People who are faithful to this message, we see these soils that Jesus is talking about. Here at Sailorville Church, we're always sowing. Sowing seed up front up here. Sowing seed in our cell groups. Sowing seed in our evangelism. You at work, we want us to be planting gospel seeds. Have you ever seen the baptism wall in the basement here? Have you ever seen that? We started this a few years ago. Those are people who have signed that when they came to know Christ and were baptized, they signed this wall. But did you know that this wall is an exact parallel to what Jesus tells us we're gonna see in ministry. 
many of these people, not many, but a few of them on this wall here have experienced these responses that Jesus talked about. Shallow hearts, busy hearts, and have walked away and are no longer among us anymore. I remember spending a whole summer with a guy who, who had made a profession and spending all kinds of time with him, and then he walked away from God. And I remember being frustrated, upset, even angry. And then God rebuked me, and he said, but by the grace of God, you would be the same way. You see, I didn't make myself good soil. God in his mercy did. And I'm reminded that I'm called to plant seed and let God take the results. You know, that's why one of our core values here at our church is Jesus rescued me from eternal death so I will live my life on earth for him. And if that is true, if I really believe that, if I believe that Jesus Christ did indeed save me from eternal death, then I will do these things. I will share the gospel. I will meet with people that I don't know how they're going to respond, but God does, and it's worth it because I believe that this person needs to be saved from eternal death just like I was. So gospel ministry, it, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes work, and we trust God for the results. And if you go on a church plant, if your heart is stirred to go on a plant, these are the type of soils that you will encounter. And you'll see the shallow soil, the crowded soil, the, and you'll ask yourself, maybe, maybe it's something wrong with what we're saying. Maybe it's the seed itself. Is that the problem? Maybe we need to change our methods. See, our methods should always be changing. In the Bible, Paul is always, and Peter, these guys that are writing in the Gospels, they're writing different ways to different people. Paul says, I act one way with certain people like them so that I can win them, and I act another way around others so I can win them. See, our methods should always be changing, but our message should never change. The gospel message should not change. We keep throwing out seed, and God directs it to that rich soil that he's prepared, that is ready to receive the gospel and truly be converted. Because fourthly, there's going to be ready hearts. Hearts that understand after they hear and they bear fruit and respond in obedience because all over that baptism wall, there are people that are sitting here in this room that are good soil, that are walking with God, that are producing fruit in their lives, in our children's ministry. Oh, we don't know yet who the good soil is in there, but God does and he's producing it in our homes, in our cell groups, in our youth ministry. We are called to plant water, and God gives the increase. God is growing his church, and he's using us as sowers to sow the gospel seeds, to share the word of Christ, to share the good news of the gospel. Dads, are you doing that at home? Are your kids hearing the good news of Christ from you? Are you instructing them or just farming them out to the children's ministry or a Christian school or some other ministry where you're just saying, you go here, they'll teach you, and when you come home, we'll hang out. 
You can't make them respond to the word of God, but they shouldn't not respond because you're not sharing it with them. So let us be creative, weaving the gospel and Jesus into everything that we're doing. I'm not saying that we just sit down and every morning have an inductive Bible study with our six-year-old, all right? But I am saying that we're, we're talking about the creator God, talking about how he's designed us and about Jesus Christ and his love for us, his death and his resurrection and one day returning that he's king of kings and lord of lords. Do you sit before them and read your Bible in front of them? We had this hill growing up uh, when we would ride our bikes when I was a little kid. And every time I got to this hill, I would jump off my banana seat bike and I would walk down the hill and then get back on it when I got to the bottom. But then I went with my dad one time. In the very same hill, I stopped at the top and he said, let's go Bradley! And he went down the hill whooping and hollering the whole way. You think I walked down that time? No. I got on that bike and I whooped and hollered for the very first time and loved it. Because dad showed me how it was done. Oh, the power of example. Leading by example, dads. Let us catch seed to our children. And if you're a good soil, which if you believe the message of Christ and you're walking with him, you will see results. You're never going to obey perfectly, right? We are already, we're not yet. We just sang about when he shall come with trumpet sounds, oh may I then and him be found dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. You're not faultless right now. But one day if you're in Christ, you will be. And so not only will the physical pain be over when you die, the war of health, but the war against sin will be finished. I look forward to that. I need it because I'm a broken sinner and I look forward to it. And see, what happens is so often, even though I'm completely justified, I'm still being sanctified. That is growing in Christ. My salvation is not complete yet. And so I know that I can easily revert back to some of these ways of thinking, of hearing God's word. Because how many of you hear the word of God perfectly all the time and you're ready to receive it? Okay, none of you, that's good. You're telling the truth. Verse 23 says that some will produce, bear fruit, yield in one case 100, another 60, and another 30. Now, 10 was really the most that any of the crops back then would ever produce itself, tenfold. So this is an insane amount of numbers that Jesus is talking about here. But he's saying, listen, if you are good soil, you will produce fruit. You can't help it, it's going to happen but everybody's gonna produce fruit at different levels, some 100, sometimes 60, and some 30. And so it is a long obedience in the same direction, Eugene Peterson says. Following Christ, sometimes there's ups, sometimes there's downs, sometimes we flatline, but we're always obediently moving towards Jesus. But sometimes reverting back to our old ways. But how do we cultivate a heart that receives the word of God? How do we cultivate, as Christians, a heart that receives God's word well? First, I would encourage you to dig deeper. Dig deeper. Some of you have been in church for a very long time, but you're still very shallow 
and your knowledge of God and your growth in Christ. And I would encourage you to dig deeper. Experience what it's like to have roots that are dug down deep into Christ and into his word. That when the storms of life come, it doesn't make them easier, but you understand them better. You have a deeper understanding of what, what God is doing. And we want to do this so much better as a church. We want to help us grow deeper in our knowledge and grow in the grace of Christ even more through modules, through men's and women's study. We want to see you and see us grow deeper together. But doing it on your own is also important. Develop disciplines, not just emotion. Everyone has crisis moments in your walk with Christ, don't you? You have a moment where God speaks to you in a great way. It's an emotional time. But if you want to go deep, you have to now develop disciplines that will help you to grow beyond that one emotional moment. So I would encourage you, if you're a Christian, living on the surface, oh, dive in and deep and see the height and the depth and the riches of the goodness of God and all that he is and all that he's offering for you. Secondly, remove the weeds suffocating your growth. Remove the weeds suffocating your growth. Isn't it so easy for us to have a cluttered heart? The events of life that are just creeping in and pushing Christ out. Sports, work, Netflix, grandkids, job, career, hobbies, Video games, some of you are logging a lot of hours on the video games, comics, food, all good things, not necessarily bad things, but they are producing weeds in your life. They're suffocating your relationship with Christ. They need to be uprooted. They need to be removed so that you can be pruned to grow and flourish in the Christian life. You see, a spiritual life unkept will always result in weeds. Nobody accidentally becomes godly. You don't wake up and go, oh, look at that, I became a godly person. No, it takes work. Just like when I look out my house now and I see the weeds back in the flower beds. Why are they there? Because I haven't stayed up on them. That's what happens naturally when we're not pursuing God. These things naturally rise up. And I said to my dad when he was here the other day, I said, hey, dad, you know, I just can't keep up with the weeds with my busy life. And he said, hey, don't do it. Try to do it all at once. Just a little bit at a time. That's the key. Dads are so smart, aren't they? Do you see the parallels to the Christian life, though? It's not all, okay, now I'm going to go get serious. It's developing disciplines in your life over time that come over time slowly, and so finally, you're, you're, you're pulling these things out, you're noticing things as God brings them about in your life, and you're weeding the garden of your life, your spiritual life, so that you can fully receive and, and answer God's word well in the way he desires us to as Christians. Thirdly, spread seed on your own. How many, some of us think, oh, the work of gospel ministry is so hard. I, don't, I can't do it, and it's so taxing for me. Growth comes as you pour out. Jason K. Allen says, only Jesus did one-way discipleship. 
When you disciple someone, when you meet with someone to share the gospel with them, you are also built up at the same time. It's never one way. You're preparing, you're getting into God's word to lead. You're learning from that person. There's mutual growth that's going on here. So often we can get in and go, me, feed me, feed me, feed me, where real growth, real life change happens by being spread out, by spreading out the seed, by pouring into the lives of others and Christ grows you and he's challenging you and you're receiving his word because you're pouring out and you're ready to bring his word back in. But the main point is of this parable is have you heard and have you responded to the gospel in obedience? Jesus says the glorious mystery is now being revealed to you and to us. And that is that Jesus Christ came to save all people groups. Every nation, tribe, and tongue, all who would believe, nobody is left out because all of us are sinners in need of Jesus Christ. And he says, this is the mystery that's gonna be revealed. It's open to everyone. All may enter my kingdom through repenting of their sins, turning from their sins, seeing themselves as savior and seeing me as king and believing and trusting in me. That is true hearing. That's what the prophets long to hear. They long to hear who Jesus was, who he was, and you have heard it. Jesus saves. He's the king. Have you responded to him? These parables are make, make us stop. They make us think, and they're supposed to make us act. Do you know Christ? Have you received him? Have you responded to his call of salvation and seen him as king? And in light of what you've heard today, believer, from Jesus, how does he want you to respond? God, I thank you that in your grace you offer us an invitation to enter your kingdom. You did not have to. It's not something you were required to do. You didn't need us. You weren't sitting in the heavens lonely. Oh, I'll create people so that I can have friends. No, that's not why you created. You created because you were good and you love your glory, and you gave it to people to experience glory so we can understand what life is all about, but we've sinned against you. We've rebelled against our king, called him our enemy, but the king himself enters our time and space and offers us forgiveness by substituting himself on our behalf, the death that we deserve, eternal separation from God because of our sins, Jesus took in our place. And then he rose again and one day is returning as king. Oh God, I pray that we'd respond to this message today. Those that have never responded to you before, that they would respond in belief today, in total trust that you're the only one who can save. And I pray for those that have trusted you that we would be continue to hear you Respond today in obedience and cultivate hearts that are ready to grow and to receive your, the food of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.